point throughout as I speak. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, please do turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Nehemiah that we have called Arise and Build. Perfect. Thank you very much, Gustavo. Check this. This works. I don't know. It's not working. Maybe you can play with that. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be continuing our series, Arise and Build. Last week, we, well, we've been looking at it for the last few weeks. Adid did a great job at sort of catching us up to where we are in the story. Then we heard the Bible read brilliantly. We just heard the Word of God for Sunday, just the whole story of Nehemiah. Then last week, we, uh, we looked at the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1, and we really just noticed one thing from the story. There's just one point last Sunday and that was that Nehemiah became overwhelmed with the city. He, came, he became overwhelmed with the news. He received this report from brother and friends saying that the wall is burnt down. The Jews are in trouble. And this overwhelmed Nehemiah. This literally, it broke him. He, it, we, we read right at the beginning, he sat down. It, he had a physical response to hearing the news that the Jews were in trouble. To hearing the news that the wall had broken down. He had this physical response. He became overwhelmed. It was this, we talked about this moment that was going to change the rest of the story. In fact, if he didn't become overwhelmed, we wondered, would the rest of Nehemiah even be written? This was a man who wept over the city. This was a man who became overwhelmed. But we saw that it wasn't only Nehemiah who was an emotional guy in touch with his emotions. We actually saw that Jesus himself in the Gospels was a man who wept. We saw that he wept when his friend died, we saw he wept when he realised the evil of death. We saw he wept when he looked at Jerusalem and realised Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, that stones those who are sent to it. He wept. He was a man who wept over the city, over friends, over the fact of death itself. That's who Jesus was. In fact, we didn't look at this last week, but if you go through the Gospels, if you've never read a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, if you want to know who Jesus is, what, who was he? Was, he? was he a guy who did this? Was he a guy, what did he look like? What was his character like? If you want to know more about Jesus, I want to encourage you, read a gospel, Matthew, Mark or Luke. And one of the things we see in there is that Jesus was a guy who was compassionate. Regular, regularly we see Jesus was moved with compassion and then did something. He fed people. He healed someone. And that was out of a heart of compassion. So it wasn't just Nehemiah who's like, he's the emotional guy in the, in the Bible. Actually, no, Jesus himself, he wept. He was overwhelmed. He was moved with compassion. And so he acted. And we finished off saying, but what about us? What do we do when we hear the report like Nehemiah heard? When we hear the news, the worldwide news, the horrific stuff that goes on around the world, the tragedies. When we hear the news in our city. When we hear the news of the church. Is the, we ask the question, is the church all that she can be? And it's incredibly encouraging to see God at work, God moving, people coming over to plant churches, Christians, people becoming Christians, following Christ. But if we honestly ask ourselves, is the church everything it could be? And we, and we, and we, we said we need to become overwhelmed. We need to let the realities of life overwhelm us, just like Nehemiah did. But then as we go on the story today, we're going to notice that he wasn't just a guy who was overwhelmed and did nothing about it. Today we're going to see what happened as a result of Nehemiah being overwhelmed. So if you've got your Bibles open, 
We're going to read from Nehemiah 1. Last week I had one point. Today we're going to be catching up. (laughs) On average we'll have three points over the last two weeks. So you can work out how many points we've got today. Okay, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sin of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. What we're going to do today is we're going to look at some practical lessons from a man who was overwhelmed about a city. From a man who had a heart, whose heart broke for the city. And the first thing he does is he brings it to God. Is it working now? Because... Let me try doing this. Give you a spoiler there. Yeah, it works. Let's go. Thank you. The first lesson I want us to see is that Nehemiah realizes God is in charge. Even though his heart is broken, he realizes as he comes to pray that it is God who is in charge. He starts his prayer like this O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Now, the Hebrew was literally the great and terrible God. So the first thing that Nehemiah does is he remembers who God is. He remembers God's greatness. He remembers that God is great. That my heart breaks, that the people of, of God, the Jews, they're looking like they're in trouble and the walls, they're not, they're not built, they're not right, but God is great. He takes his eyes off the current circumstance and looks to God. He reminds himself that God is good. No matter what things look like, God is good. 1 Chronicles 16 says this, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Jeremiah 10, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name. Psalm 47, God is the King of all the earth. Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven. Nehemiah addresses God, and in, in doing so, he reminds himself that God is great. Along with the chronicler, along with the psalmist, God is above everything else. This is what he does. And so I take home for us is as we look to be a church that arises and builds, as we look to live individual lives passionate about Jesus, first of all, look to God. Take your eyes off the circumstance. Take your eyes off the, you know, the things that are going around, the challenges, the good things and the bad things. Remember who God is. Put him in his rightful place. God, the great and awesome God. And actually, as I said, this word awesome has been translated and it's better translated as terrible. There is an awe that we should come before God with. Now, the danger of being a Christian for a while is you can become quite 
used to God. You know, it's God. We, we pray to him, we worship, he accepts us. The reality is that God is the great and awesome God. He is the one who, who, who shaped the stars and the sky, formed this earth, the solar system. And if you've been a Christian any length of time, you can sort of like come to God and be like, oh, yep, love you. We need to come back to the reality that God is great, he's awesome, he's terrible. He's a big God. He's not like this fluffy little bunny that we sort of, or a genie that, you know, you rub, rub the um, lantern and, you know, he's, he gives you your three wishes. He's God. And Nehemiah addresses God as the great and awesome. Now, because of Jesus, as Yaakov prayed out so brilliantly, because of Jesus, we have been accepted. We are able to boldly approach the throne of grace. We are able to boldly approach this great and terrible and awesome God because of Jesus. It's not about what you've done, friends. It's not about the good week that you've had or the skills that you can provide the church for the future. That's not why, that's not why God has chosen you. It's not why Jesus chose you. It's not why we can boldly approach the throne because, well, we're pretty good at singing. No, it's because of Jesus. It's in Christ. It's because of Jesus. We have the right to boldly access, access, um, access God. But don't forget, he is the great and awesome God. He is the king above all kings. There is no one like God. And Nehemiah, he, he puts this into perspective. You are God. Nehemiah was aware of who God was. Verse 8, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But... If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man." Lesson two that we can take from Nehemiah is he is a man who remembers. He's a man who is aware of promise. He's a man who is aware of promise. He says this, remember. So not only is, is God kind of aware, uh, is, is Nehemiah aware of who God is, but he's aware of the promises surrounding. He's aware of what God has said. Nehemiah was a man who was deep into scripture. He knew his scripture, the, you know, the first five books of the Bible. He knew them. And in fact, if you look at Deuteronomy 30, which we're not going to because there'd be far too much Bible um, on, the, on the screen behind us, but we see this absolute, it's like this is what Nehemiah's praying. You read it in Deut Deuteronomy 30. He knows. He says, yeah, he says, if, I, I know that you said if, if we disobey you, you'll scatter, but if we come back to you, you'll bring us. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 30. Nehemiah is a man who is aware of script, he's aware of promise. And he grounds his prayer in promise. He grounds his prayer in scripture. He says, My heart is broken. I've come before the God above all other gods. Now remember. Remember what you said. He was aware of promise. And we, we've got something to learn here. This is such a helpful way to pray. There's different ways of prayer. And we're going, to, we're going to come on to another one in a minute. There's conversational prayer, where you just sort of, I love conversational prayer. I sort of like driving in the car and like just talking to God about life. 
Okay, just talking to God. Lack of conversation. Prayer is conversation. There are also times where it's appropriate to open scripture and pray promise back to God. Remind him of promises. Remind him of what he said. And what did he say? Well, we see, don't we, in scripture, all sorts of promises. I think Nina started to share about that during worship, about being aware of promise. We saw that Jesus said, I will build my church. We see that Jesus said, I will be, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the spirit who will be with you. I'm going to be with you. So he's going to take care of you. He will provide. You know, provides for birds, he's going to provide for you. These are promises. These are things that we can hold on to. And so that when we come, and again, circumstances are looking like walls are broken down and you know, the, the Jews aren't, aren't you know, what they should be or who they should be, actually, Nehemiah is aware of promise. He's aware of, no, this is what you said, God, if we come back to you. And so as we move forward in life, as we look around and think, okay, what, what's going on? It doesn't quite feel like I'm not quite aware of what... Open scripture. See what God says. Pray back promise. It's an effective way of prayer. Why? Because Jesus says, you know, ask, you know, ask for what I want you, for what I will. And so we pray back his will. We pray back his promises. It's an effective way of prayer. And Nehemiah was a, he was a guy who knew what God wanted, and so he prays back promise. I'm very aware, a very current thing for us as a church, if you're a visitor, you, um, I'd love you to join us in prayer. We, we are, we've got this amazing venue, and in January, we're not going to probably be here anymore. So there's been this, like, suddenly, we've been here for a few months, and suddenly the people who own this place say, no, you, you can't be here in January. And so for me, at the moment, that does give me, if I'm completely honest, gives me like a level of anxiety. I'm like, oh, like, what are we going to do? Like, literally, if we can't find anywhere in a couple of months, we won't have Sunday venues, uh, Sunday meeting. We won't have a Sunday venue. It's quite, like, for me, it's quite scary. I don't know if anyone else agrees with that. It's like, where are we going to meet? In the park, maybe. Not good in January. That's not a good idea. <laughs> like, it's, it's, we bring promise to God. We know that he will provide we know that he will build his church. And so although it's scary, although I get a bit nervous about it, it also is a great opportunity for faith because we know that God has promised that he will build his church. We know he has promised that he will provide. And so we boldly approach this throne of grace and we say, God, provide, help us. We know that you've got the plan. We know that you're above all other things. We think, you know, the manager is making the decision. No, 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 God makes the decision. He is in control. And so as we look through scripture, as we read promises, so good to pray them back. It gives us such a faith for the future. Nehemiah was aware of promise, and he says this to God, remember, remember. Let's be a church that uh, encourages God to remember his promises. Ow. Ow, I was cupbearer to the king. Guess the letter that's missing. P. Pow. I was cupbearer to the king. Now I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. 
Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? I was cupbearer to the king. Okay, so this was Nehemiah's job. God had given Nehemiah a heart for the city, but much more than that, very practically, he had given him a job in a position in which he could ask the king for help. God had positioned Nehemiah for purpose. Click. Point number three, you have been positioned for purpose. Notice that Nehemiah didn't hear, you know, the news and the report and start praying in the temple. He was at work. He was in his home city. And God has positioned us for purpose. He positions Nehemiah in a place so that he's able to ask the king, someone who can grant him access to the things he needs to start the building process. And God has put each one of you in this room here, given you all jobs. He's positioned us all for purpose. I remember quite a few years ago, we had a prophetic word about, I, I can't remember it exactly, but it was this chess piece and people were being moved into position. You know, the, the, the goal of Christian life isn't to work for the church. God positions us. Tvetom. <laughs> God positions us in different roles, in different, with different responsibilities, with different spheres of influences, so that we can bring the kingdom influence. So that we can have opportunities to ask the big ask, as, we're gonna, as we see that Nehemiah does. And so God has put you in Volvo. God has put you in schools at universities. He's put you there for a reason. It's not just, just to get money and then, you know, so, no, he's put you there for a reason. So much more than just earning money. God, is, God places us. And so understand that, that you're, the, where you work, where you spend your time, God has put you there for a reason. And Nehemiah, we see for Nehemiah, we see his reason. He was then able to ask for permission to go. Why has God put you where he's put you. I wonder who he's calling you to share the gospel with, to share love with, to just be a good friend to, to perhaps pray for. Who's God positioned next to you? Because he's, he's positioning all of us. And Nehemiah, you know, the king notices that Nehemiah was sad. Obviously, he's generally not sad. But this time he's sad, you know, there's wine, it's a party. And the king says, Nehemiah, you look sad. What, like, what's, what's going on? And you know, I may be the only one that does this, so you bear with me. But when you pray for an opportunity, like perhaps you're at home and you're praying for an opportunity to share the gospel or to pray for someone who's sick at work, and then that opportunity comes, you know, you're praying for that friend who was sick at work and then suddenly you're at work and it's just you and them. And the opportunity comes and you're like, Oh, this is Nehemiah's opportunity. God has given him an opportunity for the prayer that he has just prayed. What's he going to do with it? And we see Nehemiah, what does he say? He says, I was very afraid. He was afraid because earlier on, the king had said, no, we're going to stop the work on the wall. He, wasn't, he was afraid because he wasn't just asking for like an extra week's holiday at Christmas. But he was saying, you're going, to find, you're going to have to find a new cupbearer. You're going to have to find for a period of time, I'm going to be gone. 
He was afraid because he was coming before, with this passion, with his heart, he was coming before the person who could say yes or could say no. And so he was afraid. But again, Nehemiah understands the importance of what God has called him to do. He's so, so passionate about the Jews in Jerusalem. He's so passionate about this wall rebuilding that he puts his fear to the side and he makes the big ask. Take home for us. Step out when it's scary. Be bold. Be bold. For me, I used to hate public speaking. And my first time I ever spoke on a Sunday, I used to, uh, I used to choose university courses based, like, as in my university course, the syllabus within the university course, based purely on not having to speak in like a presentation as an exam or a test at the end. And so I'd literally go through and be like, oh, that looks like an amazing course. Oh no, there's 10 minutes public speaking to three people in a year's time. Nope. And like, I literally would do that. And I remember the first time that Rob, who's going to be here next week, Rob and Joe, they asked me to, to uh, speak on a Sunday, uh, a book review, like a 30 second, 10 second book review. It was like, all I needed to say was, this book is for sale and it costs five pounds. The first, I went up and like for months I was like nervous. I mean, we don't need to go any further than that. I put my hood up, hence the hood. I went to the side, I, I, you can literally ask Joe, and this is how I spoke. I was like, there's a book for sale for five pounds. It's really, really good. And I went and sat down. Like I was, I was like really, 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 really nervous. And I, I still, I still um, it's not the most exciting thing for me to stand up and talk and publicly speak. But one thing that has helped me slightly is someone challenged me one day, who do I fear? Like, who do I really fear? Do I fear man or do I fear God? Am I more worried about what people think about me? Or am I more worried about what God thinks about me? Am I more worried about people laughing at mistakes that I make and mocking me? Or am I more worried about, hey, this is what God has called me to do? If God has called you to do something and the reason you do not do it is because of how man will react, then who are, you, who are you really being led by? If God has called you to step out and you don't want to do it because you, they, might, they might think that's a bit odd, then who are we really being led by? Again, another personal testimony, I'm definitely not through this one, <laughs> you might say thank you, is that um, every so often I feel like I want to sing out during worship, and anyone who knows me knows that singing is not my strong point. And I, every time so far, I've been like, no, people will laugh, people stop bleeding from the ears. <laughs> and it's like, no, but who do I fear? Do I fear God or do I fear man? If God has called me to do something, then why do I care about what man thinks? And so even though Nehemiah was very, very afraid, who did he fear? The king or God? He stepped out. He made the bold ask. He made the big ask. Nehemiah feared God over man. So the king says, what do you want? Absolutely slow motion, isn't it? So, I, so again, the O, yes, pole. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Again, just very briefly, notice 
that God is a man, um, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. There's, at the beginning we see this big long prayer, which is absolutely important, and praying about promises, as I said, is so important. There's other times when we just need these quick prayers, these arrow prayers. See, Nehemiah was a man who didn't just like sit down and pray for days and nights. Actually, he had this relationship with God. And so when he needed God's help, because he did, because he was very, very afraid, so I prayed to God. I asked him for help. And we're not told what he says to God, but we are told that he prayed to the God of heaven. Again, notice that. The God of heaven. Again, he says the same thing he said at the beginning. The God of heaven. He, Nehemiah understands, again, who is in control. He's standing before the king. He's about to make this big ask, the cupbearer. Um, you, you might need to find a new cupbearer. I'm going to be gone. And he's aware of who's making the decisions. He prays to the God of heaven who makes the decisions, even though he asks the king. He, he understands that God is behind everything, that God is in control of everything. He was fully convinced fully convinced that in every step God guided his way, the God of heaven. And so even though I'm going to ask the king, even though I'm going to step out, I believe that the God of heaven is the one who has control. He's the king. This is who God is. And Nehemiah was aware of that. And I mean, for me, this has actually probably been the most helpful prayer tip that I've ever had. Short, quick arrow prayers. I'm not wise, I'm not like, sometimes I find myself in conversations and I'm like, I'm so out of my depth here. I haven't been told what to say, I haven't been trained. I don't know what to say. And so I just say, God, please help me. Please help me. As we, as we live life, yeah, we're, we're in relationship with God. He cares about us. Speak to him. Help me. I'm scared. Can be talking, fill in the blank. But ask God for help. Say, hey, God of heaven, you're in control. Help me. Ooh. This is really not going well, is it? Right, if you've got your Bibles, this is why you should bring your Bibles. Okay, verse 5 of chapter 2. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of God was with me. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Verse 16, we jumped to. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, and said, What is it, this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, 
The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build. You have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is overwhelmed. He, he steps out with a bold ask. God gives him incredible favour with the king. So the king sends him off on this, on this mission to rebuild the walls. And what happens almost directly afterwards? We meet Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem. We meet opposition. As the purposes of God go forward, as, as a people, we see Nehemiah, he gets the, he gets the um, Jews on board, the priests, and to, to help. As, that, as we go forward, opposition comes. They mock. Ha! What's this, little, what's this little thing that you're trying to do? Come on. They mock. They laugh. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Nehemiah. Come on, guys. They try and scare them. Are you, are you sure the king has said that this is okay? They mock. They try and put fear in them. And we're gonna, as we go through the book, we're not going to touch so much on this today, but as we go through the book, we see opposition. And it's so important that we understand this, that as we step into the promises of God, as we sort of pick up our banner and say, do you know what? I want to be passionate about Jesus. I want to be passionate about the church. I want to share the gospel. I want to share my life with people. I want to give everything to Christ. As we do that, opposition will come. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that challenging things start to happen. As we go forward, because the reality is this, we have an enemy. Ephesians 6 is very, very clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle, there's, this, there's, this, there's this real war going on. And we have an enemy. And so as we look to move forward, as we as a church plant say, no, we want to arise and build. As we look to put the kingdom reign of Jesus more in Gothenburg, as we join with other churches and say, hey, let's preach Jesus and him crucified. As we do those things, as we join hands with brothers and sisters around Gothenburg, around Sweden, around the world, don't be surprised when things come against you. When challenges start to happen, when Tobias turn up and Sambalats and Geshems. We've just, we just got to understand this. We've just got to realise this. Nehemiah, like, it was all going so well, wasn't it? And then Sambalat turns up. Got to understand. As we push forward, opposition will come up against us. Even though... In verse 8, we see God's hand was upon him. God's at work. God's moving Nehemiah forward. God's giving him success with the king. Even though God is with him, what happened? Sandblatt turns up. There's an enemy out to try and distract, to laugh at. What are you doing, this little thing? Silly little thing. Try and put fear into the Jews, into Nehemiah. This is how Nehemiah responds. This is how we'll finish. Chapter 2, verse 20. Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arrive and, uh, arise and build. Nehemiah, again, what's been a theme through these first two chapters? 
the God of heaven, the God of heaven, the God of heaven, the God of heaven. Nehemiah is aware of who he serves. He's aware that even though opposition is going to come against him, even though there's going to be challenge, he's aware that he serves someone who is far greater, far higher, far better, who has everything in control. And so he says, do you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to rise and build. I'm going to get on with it. Why? Because I serve the God of heaven. Because I serve the king above all kings. Not this fluffy bunny God. Not this genie. I serve the creator, the God of heaven. And so as you push against me, as I'm trying to go forward, I'm still going to go forward because I fear God over man. Because I serve God rather than man. He knows who he's building for. And this is, this, this is our confidence. Just to finish, this is our confidence. This is your confidence. This is my confidence. We serve the God of heaven. As we arise and build, this is what we've called this series, Arise and Build. Yeah, we, this is such a, like, we want to be a church plant that sort of arises and builds, joins with others, and we arise and build together. But as we do that, we need to be completely confident that it is not us that arise and build necessarily, but it is because of God working in us. It's because we serve the God of heaven. So we will arise and build. Notice this isn't a, ah, God of heaven, he'll do it. We'll just watch him do it. This isn't a let go and let God message. I don't believe that is how you live life as a Christian. I believe you realise who God is and then you go. You understand that he is the God of heaven, that he has everything under control, and you say, God, I want to partner with you. I want to go. I want to arise and build, even though there's going to be difficulties. You know, Jesus didn't promise us an easy life. He really didn't. He said, if you want to be my follower, pick up your cross. There's going to be challenge. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Because we serve the God of heaven. We serve the king above all kings who one day every knee will bow before. That's our God. That's our King. We're going to uh, finish with singing the song. Um, I want to... As uh, I invite the band up, let's, let's remember, as we, as we look to live life, Let's remember that we serve the God of heaven. And as Nehemiah did, as we come against things that are challenging, as God starts to speak to us, as he starts to break our heart, let's be a people who pray. Let's be a people who, who ask him to remember his promises. Let's be a people who expect difficult times. Don't be thrown off when there's a challenge. Don't be thrown off when Sambalat turns up at work or at Dargis. Don't be thrown off by that. That is also a promise, I'm afraid. It's a promise of scripture. It's going to be a challenge. But we serve the God of heaven. We serve the king above all kings. So let's together, let's arise and build. Let's push on. We're going um, to sing. Can I encourage you to stand? Uh, as we sing... Uh, 
let's, let's just, it's a song about promise. It's a song about God's promises. Let's just pray this. Let's just remind ourselves again, just like Nehemiah did. Remember, remember, remember your promises. Let's, let's encourage God to remember his promises for us individually, for us as a church, for us as the church. And if you, if you don't know Jesus in here this morning, if this is a new message to you and you're sort of thinking, sort of, who's Jesus? What's this all about? Jesus is God who became man, who gives you right access to God. See, none of us deserve, none of us deserve God's love. But in Christ, in Christ we get it. And so if that's you, perhaps as we sing, just ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show himself to you.